0: Amen. Wow, that last song always gets me. That's awesome, guys. Thank you. Uh, Well, again, I appreciate your patience with us as we remodel. We're remodeling some of the children's areas, and as you can see, the stage has been remodeled. And uh, we're going to have that going on for the next couple of weeks uh, because uh, the first week of November, we're getting all new carpet, so we have to have all that construction done before then. And so uh, uh, thank you for your patience, and uh, thank you for realizing that we're in process. We can't do it all in one week. And by the way, all of the stuff uh, that you've seen so far being done here as far as the stage and all the children's is being done by a few really super committed guys in our church. And so I appreciate them and everything that they're doing uh, for the kingdom uh, here at Fellowship of Grace. Uh, This week, uh, Kevin Barnes, who's the pastor of Legacy Church, Legacy Church is a church plant that we actually planted uh, two and a half years ago that meets over on North Oak uh, Traffic Way. Kevin called me this week, and he had to do his uh, first funeral with that church, and he'd never done a funeral before, so he wanted some uh, pointers and some ideas and some stuff. So I gave him some some help there, and as I was thinking about that and talking with him, I was reminded of this uh, story about a rather inexperienced pastor who was... uh, uh, doing this graveside burial service for a, a, a guy who was basically a transient. Uh, he had no family or friends, and the, the town asked him to do this, uh, uh, this uh, funeral. Uh, not knowing where the cemetery was, he made several wrong turns, and he got lost a couple of times. It took him a while to get there. When he eventually arrived, he was about an hour late, and uh, the hearse was nowhere to be seen. It had already left. The backhoe was next to the open hole, and there were a couple of workmen sitting under the tree uh, eating lunch. Uh, the, the diligent young pastor went to the open grave and he found the, the vault was already in place. The casket was down in the hole. And he felt so guilty because of his tardiness uh, that he preached a really impassioned and lengthy sermon. And, and uh, he sent the deceased to the great beyond in style, you know. Uh, he returned to his car and as he walked into his, uh, got into his car, he overheard one of the workmen say to the other, you know, I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years and I ain't never seen anything like that. Now, listen, if you don't know what a septic tank is, you don't get that. So you ask somebody around you who's over 40 or lives in a rural area, trust me, it's hilarious. Okay? It really is. Just trust me on that. Uh, Listen, we're completing a series that we started five weeks ago uh, about seeing things uh, God's way. Uh, You know, we talked in that very first week about how our perspective is so important. Uh, the lens that we look through is very, very important. If I drive without my glasses, I see a very different world than if I put my glasses on and drive. And so I always keep them on. Lucky for you. Uh, and so the way that we see things makes a big difference in how we view the world. We've, we've talked uh, through this series on love and relationships, we talked about gender, we talked about money by the way, if you missed any of those sermons, you can go back on our website at www.fogkc, fellowshipofgracekc.com, and you can hear them uh, there. But today we're going to finish this series talking about uh, the church. And so as we uh, begin this, I want us to start with the series verse. We, we chose a verse to kind of be the anchor of this series, and it's found here in Proverbs 16.25, and it says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And as always, what that means is, look, there's a, there's, a, there's a way that seems like it ought to be the right thing. There's a way that seems to be logical. There's a way that seems to make sense to me. But if I follow it out without God's uh, uh, encouragement of what's truly right, it may lead to separation, death. It may lead to separation in my, my uh, worldly relationships, And it may lead to death, separation in my relationship with God if I follow it through to its fullest extent. And so it's important that we don't just see things in a manner that makes sense to us or that we would think of in our own logical minds. We have to view them, in a sense, through God's glasses and say, oh, that's how you view the world. That's how you see things. And so let's say this verse together. We don't do this a lot around here at Fellowship of Grace. You guys have done such a great job with this, and I really want you to have this verse memorized uh, by the time we're through today. So let's read it together. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. I hope that's been meaningful to you every week to read that. I, I, I really hesitate to do that very much because I you know, think somebody's going to come in here and think we're all kind of like, Uh, robots you know Uh, so don't think that but um, just understand that this is an important verse uh, really in the understanding of Christianity it says the way we see things leads to our conclusions in life and so whatever pair of glasses I have that's going to lead to my conclusions about life if I have the right glasses that were prescribed for me I'm going to view the car in front of me at the right distance if I use somebody else's glasses the wrong glasses for me I may not be able to judge that distance. I may not be able to see things the right way. And so we all want to put God's glasses on here today and look at this last topic, seeing church God's way. Now, as we begin talking about the church, I learned this very early on in my childhood. I don't know if you ever did this, but, you know, here is the church, here is the steeple, open the doors, and here are the people. Now, that was a cute little thing for kids to learn, but it taught me some bad theology right up front. It taught me that all churches have steeples. They don't. And it also taught me that every church is full of people. They aren't. And so we we tell our kids things even early on to help them understand some things that maybe aren't even really true. For instance, I hear parents occasionally say, hey, son, don't run in God's house. Folks, this is not God's house. Don't teach your kids that this is God's house. God doesn't live here. We don't come every week uh, to come and see God because we live far away from him. He lives here in the heart of a believer. And so I don't have to come to this vicinity to come and see God or come to God's house. I I am God's house. He lives in me because I've given my life to him. And so let's think about the things that we teach our kids. And I think, uh, you know, there are some wrong views about the church. Some of them come from people who are very far from God and they have uh, certain ways that they view us. But the reality is probably for some of us, we might have some wrong views too. And so today, let's take our own glasses off for a minute. Let's take the way that we see things off for a minute and let's put God's glasses on and say, I want to see the church through God's glasses. I want to see the church the way he sees it and understand it as he sees it so let's start and i've done this for you again just to make it a little easier the world sees and some of the wrong views about churches that attending church is a burden i linked up some uh, videos on uh, youtube that uh, just talk about how people view the church and they interview some people and and they're all pretty long so i didn't want to take up the time to show them to you today but there's a, a, a great number of people out there that think oh yeah i don't go to church because it's you know, I just, it's just a burden to go there. I mean, I just, it's just a drag, man. I don't want to go. It's, it's a burden. But the reality is probably uh, some of us on certain Sunday mornings might feel like it's a burden too. They also think that it's, it's a burden because I don't have to go to a place. I don't have to go and be with people. I can worship God just as easy on the golf course. And so I can go golfing every Sunday morning, and I can uh, look around and see the trees and the grass, and see that God made them all, and say a little prayer for my next shot. And I've worshipped today. Uh, you know, sometimes we we think that maybe coming to church every week makes us some kind of a weird legalist, or or we become some kind of uh, a fanatic. By the way, the word fanatic means you're a fan. I'm a fan of the Kansas City Royals. I'm a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm a fan of Jesus Christ. By the way, I'm a much bigger fan of him than I am either one of them. Uh, he never disappoints me. <laughs> okay? Ba-dum-bum. Yeah, I wish we had... The drummer's still here. Okay? So, so a lot of people see attending church as a burden. Folks, we need to see that attending church is a privilege. It is a privilege. It is a wonderful, glorious blessing to be here and be together on Sunday mornings. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. It says, "...let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another." And all the more as you see the day drawing near. He's talking about the day Jesus returns. Folks, the reality is uh, that, that passage, when it talks about not neglecting, uh, getting together, it doesn't mean quitting altogether. It really means don't make it a lower priority. It means don't neglect it. Don't put other things ahead of it. Make it a priority and, 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 and attend it as though it's a privilege. Now, I just want to challenge our thinking a little bit. And I, and I don't want you to ever get to the place where you come to church out of guilt. But if you feel a little guilt, that might be something you and God need to talk about. Okay? Many of us are way more committed to our jobs than we are to church. We are more committed to the man who gives us a paycheck than the man who saved our soul. The reality is, many of us, if we've used up all of our vacation time, we will go to work with a hundred and two degree temperature, uh, barely keeping our breakfast down, and we will we will we will tough it out. But if we wake up with a runny nose on Sunday morning, we're just too sick to come to church. I've never, uh, that I can recall, uh, unless I've got vacation time, missed too much work for my children's activities. I've never missed too much work if I don't have vacation time just for my own hobbies. I've never missed too much work even for family outings if I don't have vacation time. But folks, we miss church for all kinds of reasons like that. You don't have to be here every week but do you see the importance in this verse? It says, listen, you should want to come here. You should want to be here. You should want to do everything you can to be here every week. Why? To encourage each other to do good things. Look, when I leave here on Sunday mornings, uh, I've got to be really honest with you, I'm exhausted. I'm really just, after preaching twice, it takes so much out of me mentally and uh, you know, emotionally and spiritually. I'm totally completely exhausted. But I have loved it. I have loved being here with you. I have loved sitting here and singing these songs and worshiping God. I'm telling you, this is just a little glimpse, a little touch of heaven here, and I love it. Love it. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, I love it. Folks, God wants us to love it. And I want you to be more committed to Him than you are your employer. I want you to love being with His people and doing his things rather than loving your job. Now, I'm not telling you to be responsible at work. All I'm saying is, look at your commitment to your job. Are you that committed to work? Most of you will only get one or two, maybe three weeks of vacation from your jobs. If you're lucky and you work for a European company, you might get five or six. But some of you take 15 or 20 weeks off of church a year. Now I don't want to beat you up and, and, and make you feel guilty I'm just telling you you're missed we miss you when you're not here there's somebody waiting to be encouraged by you and you're not here to do it there's somebody here waiting to encourage you and you don't get the benefit of that okay I want you to want to be here I want you to love it because I think it's worth loving okay let's move on number two Some people view the church as a place where I get. I want to come to church to get. Now, probably none of us think that consciously. Probably nobody woke up this morning and said, I'm going to go to church this morning so I can get something. But I hear it all the time in our thinking when people say, You know, I'm just not getting anything out of your sermons anymore. I just don't get anything out of coming to church. I don't get anything out of coming to church. Well, if you have a consumer mentality that is, I'm coming here to consume the good stuff of church, just to do that. Now, that's a byproduct, and we all get to have it. But if you think uh, that this is some kind of a show that's put on every week to entertain those who might come in in order to get them to keep coming, you're very wrong. This isn't, we're not doing this just to get you to do things or to give you something so that you'll come back it's not a place to get it's a place to give now listen there's a balance here folks there's always a balance here okay listen i know we go through seasons of life where our lives are devastated i've I've gone through that and i can tell you when julie had breast cancer we went to church and we were going sometimes just to get just to get through the next week just to get through the day, just to get the fact that somebody's praying for us and somebody's loving us. Okay, I get it. There are seasons like, but folks, that can't be the norm. That can't be the all the time thing. You don't come here to get, we come to give. Look what it says in Proverbs 3.9. By the way, we're going to talk about both financial giving and giving of yourselves. In Proverbs 3.9, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, if you read that verse and go, whew, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not wealthy. Well, listen, by the world's standards, everybody in this room is wealthy. Everybody. I don't need to see your W 2s to know it. I can see by the way you're dressed that the people in this room are more wealthy than most of the people on the planet. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians. Paul says this He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints. As I directed the churches of Galatia, and the reason he says that is because what he's saying is, hey, I'm not writing to you guys specifically, I'm writing this to other churches too, so you get the fact that it's normative. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, there are some people who say, you know, I'm, I'm not coming to, to give to the church. I'm not giving to give financially or give of myself or give in any way. But folks, all those ways are biblical. They're, they're very biblical. You know, when we were looking uh, through the book of, early part of the book of Acts, and we went through that, we saw that uh, the believers brought money and laid it at the apostles' feet every week. And they, they tithed. Now, I know that some of you are going to go, oh, Michael, you know, tithing is Old Testament. It's the part of the law. We don't do the law. We don't, you know, so tithing doesn't apply to us. Okay. Let's say I I buy that for a minute. Look what Jesus says about the law. He says, you've heard it said not to murder. Here's the bar You've heard it said not to murder. I say to you, don't hate your neighbor or you've murdered him in your heart. Jesus didn't lower the standard, he raised the standard. Every single time Jesus talks about the law, he doesn't lower the standard, he raises the standard. So you want to apply that to tithing? Fine. You've heard it said that the Old Testament of giving 10% of your uh, gross income uh, was taught in the Old Testament law. I say to you, give generously and proportionately and consistently and sacrificially. I don't know what that number is for you, but I guarantee it's over 10. Now, I don't want to beat you up on this point, guys, but we are wealthy people in the world. When we say that we are followers of Jesus and we give nothing, we give nothing financially back to grow the kingdom of the one who saved us. I think there's a disconnect there. I'm not here to tell you 12% or 14% or 2% or 8%. Forget all that stuff. Do you think God's really, really happy, ecstatic about your generosity? That's a good way to ask. Listen, Julie and I have been tithers plus at some certain seasons in our lives since we got married. But I am constantly challenged in my heart to become more generous to become more sacrificial to sacrifice more of my own pleasures to grow God's kingdom now we don't just talk about giving financially the scripture also talks about giving of ourselves giving in service and it doesn't mean just sunday mornings but giving in service you know all the time When you serve this church, when you come and you fulfill the obligations and promises you've made to this church, you are not serving me, you are not serving the staff. To some degree, you're not even serving one another. You're serving Jesus. You're serving Jesus. Listen, I want you to think about your commitments to serving here as though Jesus were your employer here. Okay? Your faithfulness here should be greater than your faithfulness at your job. If you commit to something here, listen, guys. I understand. There's there's that one out of a you know hundred weeks where you wake up and you know you ate something the night before and you're puking your guts out. We don't want you to come. Okay, I get that. Throwing up all over babies doesn't help us any. I get it. But listen, sometimes people commit to things and they just don't show. Or, or something comes up at the last minute that's way more important than fulfilling their obligation and their commitment to Christ here, and so they just blow it off. Guys, we can't do that. We can't do that. Not just because it inconveniences other people and other people have to fill in and all that. Not because of all that worldly stuff. Because it's a reflection. It's a reflection of your real commitment to Christ. I want to challenge you. When you commit to things here, follow through with them. Because you're giving of yourself. And by the way, I want to encourage everybody to increase that particular giving. If you're serving uh, one week a month in the children's ministries, can't you do two? I mean, I grew up, we went to Sunday school in church and Sunday night church. Well, actually, when I was a teenager, we went to Sunday school, uh, Sunday morning church, uh, youth choir, uh, some, some other thing they called youth group and, and, and Sunday night church. Then we had Wednesday night church. Then we had something else. I mean, I mean, we lived at the church. And today in our culture, it's like, if I have to, if I have to get up early two Sundays a, a month, man, that's going to almost kill me. Now, come on, guys. Again, you're not serving the people and the stuff here. You're serving Jesus. I joke about this sometimes, but I really mean it when people just act like their commitments here are nothing, I just really want to say to them, okay, so so what you're telling me is Jesus went to the cross for you. He died. He shed his blood. He gave up his body for you. But you can't get up on Sunday mornings. Is that what I hear? And they're like, ooh, when you put it like that, it's not so good. Okay, I don't want to beat you up. But... I do want you to really think about your commitments to serving this body of Christ. In fact, I'm going to give you the chance right now to give. We're going to receive our offering here in just a minute. And I want you to know that we, uh, around here, we do uh, the best we can at using the finances. These are, this is God's money. It's not our money. He, he gives it to us to manage. We do our very best to manage his money the very best possible way that we can we're very transparent with where it goes. It's, it's open to anybody who wants to see where it goes and what happens to it. And I'll explain where some of that goes a little bit later. But let's go ahead, take a few moments to receive our offering. Uh, by the way, I, uh, because we've got a new aisle and it's kind of messed up and everybody's been confused the last few weeks because of the new chairs, uh, we're going to do every section in S's, okay? So every section we just go back and forth in that section. In the first service, there were only two people over on this side, and I said, you're not going to do an S, you're going to do a comma. They got that. But as you put your money into that plate, folks, as you give, I want you to think about how sacrificial is that. Does it hurt, or are those the leftovers? And is that how we serve the body of Christ? Let's continue on. Oftentimes, the world's view is that the church is just another organization. It's like the PTA. It's like the, the Boy Scouts of America. It's like the YMCA. It's, it's just another organization. And where people who have a like-minded view of something. Uh, they go and they hang out together. It's just like everybody else. But it's not like everybody else. This is not just another organization. This is the body of Christ. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5 say this says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. If you also remember back at the very beginning of the book of Acts, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he said, he said basically in the first part of Acts, he says, hey listen, I've already written about what Jesus did. Now I'm going to write about Jesus' ministry going forward, and then Jesus is off the scene by the end of, of the, the first chapter. What he's saying there is, look, the, 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 the church, the church is the hands and feet of Jesus going forward. We are the embodiment of Jesus on the planet. He is no longer physically here, but we are. We are. He's saying, you guys go be his hands. You guys go be his feet. You guys go be the ones to feed the hungry. You guys go be the ones to, to love on people. You guys go do the, uh, the things that I would do. And listen, we all belong equally to the body of, the, of Christ if we are Christians. If we have received uh, Christ as our Savior, if we have heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus, which is uh, the realization that we are sinners... Understanding that we can't do anything to get rid of that sin ourselves. We can't be good enough to wipe it out. It's still there. And that we can do nothing to get rid of that sin. But Jesus came as a gift from God to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And by putting our faith and trust in Him, He will come and forgive our sins. We get credit for His righteous life, he takes credit for our sinful life on the cross. And when we stand before God someday, he may see our sin, but it's covered in the blood of Jesus. And we appear, we appear to be sinless in front of him. That's what allows us to go to heaven and live there forever with God. And folks, when we've done that, we belong equally to the body of Christ. The body, uh, the body is functioning here on Sunday mornings, so you need to be, come and be a part of it. You know, my little finger didn't get to decide today that it, got to, it was tired and it was going to stay home. It had to come with the rest of me. It has to do what the rest of me does. And so, God wants you to come and be a part of this organization, the body of Christ, so the body can function well. When you're not here or you're not participating, it doesn't function as well. It's like a puzzle and all of you are all of every one of us is a piece of the puzzle. We can't complete the puzzle and have 27 pieces left in the box that aren't being used. If there are 27 pieces in the box, there are 27 holes still in the puzzle. The only time the puzzle is complete is when every single piece is doing its job. When every single piece is functioning the way it should, that's when the puzzle is complete. We also see that the world's view about church and sometimes maybe ours, is that it's all about me. We view the church as very self-serving. The church is all about my experience. How did I feel today? My comfort, my opinions, my preferences. And we get in these attitudes of, hey, I, you know, I don't like the music the way it is. I don't, I don't like what they've done in the children's room. I don't like this, I don't like that. Oh, I like that, I like that, but I don't like this and I don't like that. It's all about what we like. And so when you come to church, it can sometimes be like a checklist of what I did and didn't like today. Folks, when we do that or when we think that way, when other people who come in think that way, it's really all about ourselves. But this is not about us. It's about Him. It's about Jesus. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 10.31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The reason this is about Him is because it's all about Him. Everything we do is about Him. Or it should be. Going to work is all about Him. Interacting with my neighbors is all about Him. Being a husband is all about Him. Being a father and a grandfather is all about Him. It should be all about Him every time we do anything. Every time we take a breath, it's all about Him. How much more should our church experience be about Him rather than about us? We can't be the center of our universe. He has to be the center of our universe, folks. And this morning, I want us to take an opportunity to give you a way to kind of reset... Uh, or maybe reconfirm in your mind the fact that it's all about Him. We're going to take the Lord's Supper here in just a minute, and before we do that, I want you to think about uh, uh, your life. I want to think about my life. Think, let's think about our lives and say, where is it that we're still thinking? And it's kind of about me. It's kind of about what I like. Kind of about what I want. Let's get out of that mindset and figure out a way to give our minds and our hearts completely to Him where it's really all about him. By the way, if you are here this morning and you have given your life to Jesus, as I just spoke about, you've accepted the gospel and you've been born again, you are welcome uh, to receive the Lord's Supper with us. Uh, The Bible talks about the Lord's Supper. It says that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he sat down with his disciples. And he took the bread at one point And he broke it, and he handed it to them. And he said, guys, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. Then after uh, dinner, he took the cup, and he said, guys, this represents my blood. This represents the new covenant that's going to take place here in just a matter of moments. He said, when you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. What Jesus was saying is, guys, when we come and take the Lord's Supper, we're just taking a little piece of bread and we're taking a little glass of juice. But it's a profound thing because it should remind us to the core of our being the sacrifice Jesus made for us, the fact that he gave up his body, he gave up his blood. And he willingly and lovingly went to the cross to pay for our sins. That's the good news. That's the good news. So I'm going to pray here in a moment, and as soon as I finish praying, I want you to come as, as you are ready to receive the Lord's Supper. We've got a table here and a table here. Just come and serve yourself, and um, uh, we won't take long to do this, but just pray before you do this and say, God, help me, help me, help me. Uh, through this act, to just remember it on a constant basis and make sure that life is all about you instead of all about me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity again to observe the Lord's Supper. Thank you for your son Jesus, for his body, for his blood, which was given for us. Father, help us not to take that for granted, but to be really changed by it. God, I just pray that as we now participate in this act, this symbolic act, that it do something deep in our soul to help us be all about you and less about us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come as God leads you. We will think about that this week. I hope that you will be changed by practicing that ordinance here. Let's continue on. I've just got a couple more points to make before we close today. You know, the world's view is that the church is full of hypocrites that claim perfection. You know, many people think that we get together on Sundays and we uh, pat each other on the back for being perfect this week and we uh, uh, acknowledge to each other how perfect we've been. Problem is, they know us. And if we give off a holier than thou attitude, they know we're lying. But before we uh, talk about that, I want you to understand that that when people say the church is full of hypocrites, I look them square in the eye and I say, you're right, it is. Because what I believe to be the standard, I don't live up to. There is a hypocrite gap there. And so I ask them, so do you believe in lying? Uh, No, I think it's terribly wrong. Have you ever done it? Well, yes, I have. Welcome to the hypocrite club. Okay, Now now listen, as we, as we give our lives to Christ, we should become more Christ-like. We should, that gap should close. But as long as we live on this planet, that gap will never, will never close completely. And, and so we're forced to either bring down the standard of Jesus and say, hey, we really are perfect. My, my living is the perfection that we all should attain, which we all know is ridiculous. Or we keep the standard where it is and just admit the fact that we're all sinners saved by grace. Okay? Which is obviously the next point. We are sinners saved by grace. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them listen we can't ever forget this but it also must come out in our attitude folks okay we can we can understand this intellectually uh, but we have to have an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude towards god rather than superiority if we appear to our friends and neighbors who are far from god like we think we're better than them like we've got that holier than thou attitude or view uh, they're never going to come to Jesus. And so, uh, you know, and I don't mean the, the opposite of just, you know, I'm dragging, oh, yeah, I'm a horrible sinner. Uh, you know, but I, I'm, just, I'm just grateful. I'm just thankful that, that after all of the stupidity that I've done in my life, after all of the sinfulness, God still loves me. And Jesus' blood still covers my sins. Now that is something that will preach to your lost friends. The other thing they see is that this is a place of judgment. Certainly most people think this outside the church, but some of them think that inside the church too. You know, I can't be real with anybody because if I get real with anybody and share any of my issues or problems, they're going to know that I don't live up to the standard. Listen, we already know that. We already know that. Uh, None of us do. So it's not a big secret that you're not perfect This is not a place of judgment. This instead is a fellowship of grace. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Grace is undeserved love. It's unmerited favor. It's the fact that I act in love towards somebody when they don't deserve it. And here it says we have the ability to give and offer grace to somebody through our words. Simply through our words. Folks, this, this church, uh, I mean, that is our name. You know, we should kind of live up to it, right? It's a place, this has to be a place where people find love and mercy and grace wrapping up the truth. Now, as always, we're not giving a pass to sin. We're not saying, hey, don't worry about your sin, no big deal, just come on in, no problem. We're not saying that. But what we're saying is, realizing that we're all sinners anyway, we're going to love you. We're going to give you mercy and grace and help. And we're going to love on you instead of criticize or judge you. Last, many people think that the church is focused inward. They think that we're all about each other. We're all about just our little club. In fact many churches do become inward their focus is all about keeping the members happy it's all about fulfilling ministry to each other and just us being a little club you know us four and no more kind of thing but when that happens it's really hard for guests to crack the inner circle it's really hard for them to get connected and in those churches there's almost no growth no salvations no baptisms no life while we we have some level of focus uh, inwardly. I mean, we take care of one another. and We love one another. We do all the one-anothers. By the way, the vast majority of one-anothers in the Bible are for believers to do, uh, to other believers. It's doing one-anothers for each other. But we have to have a focus that is outward. In Matthew chapter 28, these are our marching orders. We can never, ever forget this. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is an outward focus. While we do minister inwardly to those who are members of this body, our focus has to always, it's got to be those who are not yet here with us. It has got to be the people who haven't experienced what we've experienced But we do have an outward focus, and we we try very hard to keep it. That's why we sponsor over 5,000 missionaries all over the world through the cooperative program. That's why we sponsor individual missionaries. That's why we participate with the Missouri Baptist Children's Home. That's why we help to support the Parkville Women's Clinic. Uh, That's why we do many of the things that we do, including mission trips. And so we've got to keep this outward focus to share the good news of Jesus with all those who have yet to experience what we have been so blessed to experience. In fact, Chris Nardi and I are going to get the opportunity this week, well, actually over the next 10 days, uh, to do that in the Philippines. Uh, We are leaving tomorrow morning uh, at 6.45 from KCI. We'll be flying to Los Angeles, then to Tokyo, Japan, and then to Manila in the Philippines, where we'll spend seven days on the field. It'll take two days to get there, one day to get back. And we'll spend seven days on the field there with a missionary named Greg Lyons who has an incredible mission, mission over there. He uh, uh, planted a church there 20-some years ago now across the street from what was at the time the world's largest high school. Now it's only, I found out recently, it's only the second largest high school. They've got 40,000 students. They do three shifts during the day to get them all through. And his church is right across, kind of down the street from it. Uh, In the last 10 years, he's had youth camps and seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young people come to know Christ as their saviors. And and because that's had such an impact on their lives, now he's started having parent camps. Because mom and dad say, what's happened to my kid? They're obeying me. They're doing right. They're they're acting like a human being. What have you done to them? And he said, you want to see? Come to adult camp. Come to parent camp. And so they go to camp. Many of them have gotten saved. Hundreds and hundreds of them. He started a Bible college there. And uh, right now they've got about 150 church planters from all over Southeast Asia that are coming there to learn to be a church planter missionaries to go back into Southeast Asia and plant churches. And I'm telling him, you better get on the stick and keep it moving because 25 years from now, they're going to be having to send them here in the United States. We're going to have to have missionaries coming from somewhere to here And so we're going to get an opportunity uh, while we're there to represent you. I'll be preaching next Sunday uh, at his church. I will be um, teaching in the Bible College, church planting during the week. And one of our goals is to meet a couple of three, four, we'll see how it goes, church planters that we really connect with, so that in March, when we go back and hopefully take as many of you as God will allow to go, we'll be able to help those church planters get their churches launched. We'll be doing things for them to draw a crowd and help them uh, so that they can get these churches launched throughout Metro Manila. And so you pray for us this week. Pray for us this week. But but as we go, uh, folks, because we are a body and because we are all together, we aren't going only to represent the kingdom of God, representing Jesus Christ and representing Fellowship of Grace. We are representing you. We're representing. We're part of. You're part of this body. We're part of this. We're part of the same body, and so as we go, you go. And so this week I'm going to be putting some uh, updates on the city. Um, I won't be putting any updates on Facebook until I'm back, just because I think that's safer. Um, and so, uh, I'll be, but I'll be updating on the city since that's only. I trust you guys. You know, you guys can read about it. Uh, and uh, so, so be watching the city as those updates go up. And um, uh, we'll be back uh, 10 days from now. But before we go, before we go, uh, Chris and I are going to come down here. And we're going to kneel here at the front. And I'm going to have uh, Pastor Derek, Pastor Kendall to come up and pray for us. Um, and, and Mike, why don't you come up too? Mike's on our missions team. Why don't you come up too? And, and pray uh, for us. And, and I'd like you all to come up. And and as uh, we see in the New Testament... Uh, We want you to just lay your hands on us, kind of representing our church. And just, you know, put your hand on our back or our shoulder or whatever and pray for us silently as they pray out loud for us as we go. And then you pray for us this week, okay? A lot of unknowns, where we're going, what we're doing. And so pray that it just works out to God's glory. All right, Chris, why don't you come on up? And if you feel led to come up and, and to lay hands on us and pray for us, you feel free to do that.
1: Let's go ahead and pray together. God, uh, we uh, do lift up uh, Michael and Chris to you uh, this week. God, uh, we thank you for um, just the, the way you've worked uh, circumstances out for, for them to be able to go. Uh, God, all the details and all those things, all the, the pre-work that has been done. God, I pray that you would um, just now uh, ease any uh, nervousness or anything that they have with, with taking a trip across the world like this. God, I pray that you would, um, just for, for safety um, as they travel, uh, that all the, the details and logistics of connecting flights and all those things to, to get them over there, God, would, would work out well. Um, God, that you would um, even uh, in all the people they come in contact with on the trip there, God, that you would uh, set up some appointments, some divine appointments and conversations and those types of things, God's that they would be able to minister to people um, this entire time. God, I pray that uh, you would just uh, empower them. I pray that they would really feel your presence and feel the Holy Spirit's presence uh, with them this week as they are uh, in a totally different place out of the ordinary from their normal routines, God, but that um, you would uh, really just give them strength to um, do all the different things that they're going to be doing and meeting people. Um, God, I pray that you would just put people in their path uh, that we can uh, partner with as a church and that many of us uh, will as we hear about and hear updates this week over the next 10 days uh, about their trip, that we would um, just feel something maybe in our hearts, uh, a desire, a passion to, to serve you by going over there in March and just to partner with, with people uh, as we seek to make disciples of all nations. God, we, we thank you for this opportunity.
2: Dear heavenly father, I just want to ditto what uh, Derek said. I just pray for my brothers, Chris and Michael. Um, Lord, I pray for their families. Uh, they'll be back here. I pray that you will keep them safe as they're gone. Uh, I thank you for the sacrifices these guys are making during this week of just uh, Chris uh, not even uh, going to be going to work and, and and taking no salary during that week. So I pray his finances will be, be taken care of. Lord, I pray that you'll put it on our hearts uh, to give. And, Lord, I just want to thank you so much for their willingness uh, to go, as your Scripture says. Um, I just pray that you will start preparing the hearts of the people there in the Philippines. Uh, I pray that you will start preparing our hearts as we prepare to go next year. I I pray that we will have just so many people going there uh, to show them uh, who you are and to to just express how much we love you um, by going. Lord, thank you for this this time we have to pray.
0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the privilege of going and sharing your love thank you for michael and chris having uh, the opportunity and taking the opportunity to uh, take this big step to go halfway around the world to share the love of christ and father as these two go out from our body this fellowship of grace may we be a
1: part of that trip by praying for them by lifting them up this week may the power of prayer be evident in everything they experience this week in the philippines father in these
0: next 10 days may you grant their needs may you enable
1: them to be channels of your love lord jesus may you connect them with church planters that fellowship of grace can partner with in the days ahead we just ask that you would be glorified the name of christ would be exalted we pray it in your name amen
0: we appreciate that uh, very deeply. Do it this week, if you can remember. And um, uh, we should come back with some detailed plans and information about March. And so you would be praying as, uh, I'm not sure which one of the guys prayed about it, but you'll be praying about that because when we get back, we'll help probably start meeting right away with people that are interested in going. We'll have some details about what we'll be doing there, uh, what's going to be happening, and um, dates already, and uh, some financial situations. So Um, You'd be praying about that uh, if God would lead you to come and participate with us. All right? Thank you.